Hi there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there, welcome to episode 102, I think, of 1% Better, and delighted that you're checking this one out. This is uh, season three, and we're kind of moving into another new topic this week where we deep dive into finance uh, personal finance how you can make better financial decisions and more informed decisions with my guest paddy delaney i will go into a little bit of detail about that before the episode kicks off so we're three or four episodes in this was the fourth episode of season three third guest uh, we've touched on management in the first one leadership and how to deal with time in prison maybe with a man and sheila in second and last week was susan winter focusing on relationships and a few folks have got in touch after listening to the relationship one with susan a few things jumped out for them the the term breadcrumbing which i had in the title uh, was something that folks probably hadn't heard of that much of before ghosting you may have heard of that from the online dating world and uh, catfishing definitely a term that has grown up uh, to prominence a lot over the last few years susan's a really interesting lady and she was on oprah as i mentioned great guest not only can you listen to the podcast you can watch the video it's on the youtube channel as well so if uh, if you have enjoyed it let somebody maybe know about it that might get something out of it drop them a, an email or a text and let them know where they can find it i would really appreciate that as always i'm trying to make the podcast better and i was reading an article this week around how how not to grow your podcast audience and it called out a few bullet points here so i was trying to see do i do some of these things that prevent me from growing the audience and one of them was asking for subscriptions before you deliver value so i know that i always ask folks to leave a comment or a rating or a review and definitely subscribe because again that helps with the ranking in, in the podcasting charts um I, I i do ask for it uh, i was asking myself the questions here do i am i guilty of some of these uh points that w- were released by um, a podcast hall of famer believe it or not so i hope when i do ask for subscriptions and signups which obviously are free to the one percent better show hopefully there is value from doing that uh, if you do enjoy it then subscribe maybe that's the best way to do it if you don't enjoy it don't subscribe but if you don't enjoy it i would love you to let me know what you're not enjoying and if there's a large consensus around that then i could try and <laughs> make it more enjoyable i suppose that's uh, how i can help myself improve that's just one sending people to the haystack that is apple podcasts is another i definitely send folks there it's it's one of the the top platforms where people listen to podcasts 60 or 70 percent of people do listen through apple um, spotify is getting bigger and bigger but there's a number of different apps that you can listen through and i've just put onto the front page of the website and the latest page of the website where it's the latest uh, links to six of the podcast apps of choice so there's apple there's spotify spreaker uh, overcast i think google so there's lots there so go to whichever one you want i'm giving you the choice um the more choice i suppose sometimes the better sometimes the worse but uh, that's a second one a third one was asking for reviews to help us be found so the reviews piece i'm not really looking for reviews to be helped 
to be found it's more to learn from what is going down well and what um, maybe could be done better as i keep saying so that's interesting obsessing over chart positions that's not going to help you grow your podcast i, I definitely agree with that i've learned over the last few years that uh, that doesn't really matter a whole lot some weeks i have in the hundreds of listens and the chart position could go up and other weeks i would have more and it would go down and and then yeah it's just random uh, but it does kind of fall on the subscriptions and i think from the statistics that i saw lately 20 percent of the people that listen to the podcast have subscribed only that that amount interesting again interesting i suppose from my perspective maybe not from yours you're probably saying let's move along here rob and get on with the show but anyway that's just uh stuff that i was reading through this week how to try and grow the podcast these are some of the guilty sins or sins that you shouldn't be committing and for the most part i think i'm doing okay there anyway okay this week's episode is with paddy delaney me and paddy or paddy and i connected a couple of years ago i think he's his own podcast his own blog he's a an award-winning blogger and it's all focusing in on financial management from a personal perspective and as always when i reach out to somebody to talk with them potentially for an episode i have to have a personal interest in this and this is definitely one that i was interested in you read a lot about how to manage your finances better or listen to podcasts about it um but sometimes i guess my paranoia is when you're talking to a financial advisor they're already trying to sell you a product or a service that will obviously get them commissioned that they have some uh lean towards so it's trying to get somebody that's completely independent and that is um something we talk about with uh, with paddy on the show as i said he's an award-winning blogger which he's won an award two years in a row he's a very sound guy as you'll hear and he uh, talks about his own journey into the financial world how he gave up a solid job after a number of years to take a leap of faith into doing what he loves which is financial management on his own terms i guess and and then through the podcast through his blogging how he's getting uh you know more and more recognition for the good work that he does he's very clear in his own purpose his mission trying to help people and i can certainly connect and, and resonate with that as i listen back to it and i edited the show we did uh, hit on a lot of questions on financial management that are probably common enough but you may not get the chance to ask somebody without paying for it maybe uh, so this is a free way of getting some financial advice i personally was interested in long-term investments that kind of compound interest paying off your mortgage soon rather than you know holding off for large payments for later those sort of things and a few other nuggets that paddy shared that i wasn't aware of at all so that's pretty much me rambled done for the week i will leave that there head it over to paddy delaney and the conversation i had with him a few weeks ago check out the show notes links to paddy's website informeddecisions.ie him on twitter and yeah hopefully you enjoy this one and as always if it's of value let me know subscribe and that person you are chatting to over lunch Maybe say to them, do you listen to podcasts? Uh, do you hear the 1% Better podcast? 100 or so episodes, you might be interested in checking it out. You could learn something from it. Broad range of topics and all that good stuff. So there you go. Next week, I think I am going to release an episode with a, an, a CEO and a, a guy that I would say is 
closest to a polymath that I've talked to and reminds me of uh, a younger Elon Musk from the perspective of all the stuff going on in this guy's brain. Not that I know a younger Elon Musk, but that's what I imagine he'd sound like. All right. Enjoy the episode, guys. Have a great weekend. Have a great week ahead. Thanks for listening as always. Good luck. Bye bye. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of the 1% Better podcast and we're well into season three uh, at this stage and thinking back of all the episodes I've done so far, I haven't really had any focused in on personal finance or, or finance in general. So I figured I had to address that and I'm delighted to introduce my guest this morning who's going to help us really focus in on all of that good stuff paddy delaney of informed decisions welcome to the show thank you very much indeed rob i'm delighted to delighted to be here um and and hopefully i can help explain and shed some shed share some insights around the whole personal finance piece if i could do that i'd be a happy man yeah it's uh it's my selfish way of getting a free a session of personal <laughs> finance advice so so if, if no one else gets anything from it whatever whatever about it um absolutely patty you're, you're an award-winning financial blogger i think by, by x2 over the last two years in a row or so is it yeah um i don't i don't really know how they came about to be perfectly honest with you but yeah i, I started uh i started blogging even though in fairness, before I started blogging, I actually didn't even know what that meant, to be perfectly fair. I just started writing about uh, an area that I'm really passionate about and that I have a real interest and, and hobby around, and that's personal finance and investing and financial planning. Um, and, and yeah, I managed to pick up a couple of awards along the way. I'm not sure what those awards were judged on. I really don't. Um, but yeah, they seem to, whoever was judging it seemed to like what I was putting out there. That's cool, though, isn't it? And do you even know how you got, um, you know, kind of in the shortlist for that? Did you have to submit anything? Oh, yeah. So it was actually my uh, my wife, uh, Fiona, oh. said, Paddy, I don't know where she came across it, but she just sent it on to me and she says, you got to put yourself in for this. And mm. I was like, ah, you know, the way these things can be a bit cheesy or whatever. And yeah. I, I, I said, look, let's put it out there and, and just submitted the application. Or, and, uh, and yeah, I got shortlisted and then I got invited to the night didn't know if i was going to win or not um and yeah and then obviously got the name called out so it was the super buzz <laughs> did you have a speech prepared no i was <laughs> i was all ready to speak of course right me being me and uh you know <laughs> i didn't get the opportunity to ever to say a few words Rob, because there was lots of awards okay. uh, for the different categories so they basically just gave you a award and, and shooed you off the stage okay. <laughs> it's pretty much how it was so they were playing the kind of oscar music even before you kind of were walking <laughs> yeah, up yeah. get out <laughs> well no that's it's great to i know you know there's awards are can have different perspectives on on them, but it's nice to get recognised, and it's it's certainly good for the brand as well. Absolutely, yes, no harm. And, and look at, I suppose when I when I won the first award in 2017, uh, I was probably a year into the whole blogging, um, and I was working full time. What you know, it was it was pure hobby thing, you know, that it sort of did when the kids went to bed or, or getting mm. up particularly early in the morning to to create that. Um, um, and I was doing it, it was really a, a soul fire project as I was calling it at the time, it was something that I was really keen on and I was really getting a lot of buzz from doing um, so I wasn't doing it for anything other than genuinely trying to share some some insights and, and I guess 
help people avoid some common mistakes that I see with regards to personal finance, really. Yeah. So it was great to get recognition for it, 100%. Cool. Well done on it. Um, so, so maybe talk to me a bit about your background then in, in the world of finance. Was it was it a, a burning desire when you were growing up to be a, a finance guru? Uh, no, and I, and I wouldn't say I am a finance guru, Rob. Right, okay. so don't don't try and label me with that. No, um, I, I was was it a burning desire? Uh, I think I think very few of us are blessed to have a burning desire at a young age for anything in particular. To be, uh, to be honest with you, I think the the, the number of people that that you know know from a very young age exactly what they want to do is pretty small and i think they're very fortunate people um my my career uh if i can call it a career was was very much a a, a meandering path i guess to, to be honest until i found uh, until i found what i'm doing now um but yeah look at my parents were in the banking uh, space and i would have been around banking and all that sort of stuff and i always had an interest in money not not accumulating great wealth but just in terms of how i managed it or spent it or saved it and and observing other people and what they were doing with money um i always had an interest in it did i always want to become you know a a financial expert uh, i probably wouldn't say that but uh yeah like I, I did a general business studies degree um down in waterford uh, had a had a super time down there um and then I went into retail management. I, I always worked in shops and supermarkets over the years as a youngster and um, had an interest in that space. I loved working with people and I loved the numbers and I thought that retail would, would be a decent place to try and do that. So I did that for a couple of years from 2002 until 2005, uh, working with some large retailers as a, as a store manager, basically. Um, didn't didn't particularly love it though so uh so then I, I knew a change was in order and I went I was at that time Rob I'm sure you remember 2004 2005 you could pretty much walk into an interview and they'd offer you the job right before you even open your mouth just because you turned up to the interview right <laughs> and there was so many jobs around the place um so I I sort of had a pick of options at that stage and and I went in uh, working in a bank, and that was 2005, as a financial advisor. Um, and did that, you know, in a bank on behalf of a big insurance company for seven years. Were you qualified uh, in that when you walked in in 2005 as a financial no, advisor? So the, the way it generally was working back then was you, you would sort of come in as a trainee, you would do certain aspects of financial planning for customers uh, while you became qualified. So what you were studying at night time and stuff like that. So so it became qualified within a year or two of of starting that career and then sort of really, really enjoyed aspects of that role. Right. Um, and really got a buzz out of you know get, developing the client relationship piece and, and genuinely helping people. But I'll be honest, Rob, I found I found the the structures in which I was working limited uh, the impact that I felt I could have with a with a person or with a client, right? Um, so in 2012, I actually got an opportunity to move into the whole space of learning and development within financial services. Uh, and again, as I said, I love working with people. I love learning. I love educating myself. I love reading. I love how our minds work and 
and sort of so that for me was a super move to get that opportunity to to go into learning and development where I was training, coaching, facilitating other people in the financial services industry. So I did that for from 2012 until 2018. And absolutely, I feel that was that was a, a pivotal, I guess, experience or a number of years for me in terms of me developing my understanding of the whole area of financial planning and also my understanding of what customers really want and and how we can really help people. And so in May of 2018, a really difficult decision, uh, I left the company that I had been with for 13 years um, you know, because it was a great company to work with, great people, great staff, great culture, and and basically set out to pursue the blog and to develop the blog and the website uh, that I had started in 2016. Um, so since May of 2018, just after the birth of our third child, I said, what better time to leave a perfectly secure um, and you know, reasonably well-paid job uh, to, to go out on my own? Um, so Fiona has obviously been pivotal in all of this, Rob, yeah. Mm, it sounds like... Uh... The question I'll ask then is, you know, if you were working coaching with some uh, client and they were kind of wondering, oh, I'd like to go out on my own. We just after have had a, had a third child, you know, what sort of financial security would you have to have in place for them to make that a good idea? Or, or I suppose, how did you kind of observe yeah. your own decision making process there? Yeah, it's an interesting one, and you know, I know you you you've inter- interviewed some some really great people that would be far uh, more qualified in the space of understanding the psyche of decision making than I. But uh, like for me, um, it was it was something that I I I'd always had a grow to do something right, if that makes sense. And I'm sure there are people out there that maybe that will resonate with that they wanted to do something here, right? Um, and I, and to be honest with you, Rob, I struggled with that for a long time, and and it caused me to probably make some make some silly decisions uh, and behave in ways that maybe weren't in line with what I'm about. You know, you know, towards the end of my career within that company, and um, but I, I would I I probably say that the single biggest difference in all of that was was when I was becoming a qualified coach, um. As part of that uh, qualification, uh, it was mandatory that you become coached yourself by a qualified coach. And it was through that process that I recognized, you know what, this, this, is, exact, this is what I want to do. This is the end goal for me. Well, not the end goal, but this is the next step for me mm-hmm. and get clarity on that. And what a coach does is, is basically make you accountable for progressing the goal for progressing what it is you want to achieve is that is that some money you're dropping there is that (laughs) just after having a eureka moment there go on (laughs) thankfully i can edit that out the penny has dropped yeah Um, exactly ultimately it was you know that's what a coach coach does or a decent coach coach should do that is help you progress something that is important to you a to figure out what's important and then b to, to get towards it so that for me was great and part of that, part of those stepping stones was the financial piece, absolutely, and building up reserves. But also, I would say, in being really careful about your business plan, 
um, you know, and making sure that your forecast and your expectations are realistic. Uh, and, and because otherwise you might have the greatest idea in the world, but then because perhaps your your what you actually achieve in terms of return or revenue or whatever your measure is doesn't meet expectations, you mightn't be able to continue with that project uh, for long enough to actually make it work, if that makes any sense, if I've explained that okay. Um, so for me, it was about being very planful. And I'm, I'm a planful guy by nature. I don't make rash decisions. Um, I try and weigh up all the pros and cons and, and, and make a decision based on that, uh, as, I, as I continue to do today. So I guess that was, it has worked, right? So we're now nearly a year out and it is working fine, right? I'm, I'm generating what I need to generate. It was never about becoming a millionaire. It was about doing the work that I really want to do with the people that I really want to do it with. Mm -hmm. So, so far, so good, Rob. Very good. Yeah, no, it's a methodical answer, and I agree with obviously the coaching element, kind of in the you know in the same sort of perspective of um, <clears throat> understanding what what you want to do, figuring out your why, and and then certainly trying to execute against us in a, in a planful planful way. Absolutely. What what um what was the question? So you mentioned business plan. I think a lot of the times people come up with these ideas of I want to go out on my own it's my passion it's really what I want to do and don't really kind of go into the detail of okay I need to generate 50 clients next year to break even or to to survive and the, the idea of even I talk to a lot of people about entrepreneurial ventures and what's the biggest thing that they maybe learned early on is cash flow and not having enough yes. you know potentially coming in <clears throat> is is business planning when you're working with your clients is something you kind of focus in on as well and maybe talk a bit more about that. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I, I'd like to, one thing that I think has helped me greatly. Um, and, and while it wasn't deliberate at the time, Rob, it was, was the, the fact that I have that presence with informed decisions. Right. Um, so when I started that, that was honestly, that was not my, Oh, I'm going to build this brand up or whatever you want to call it to, to then when I do leave employment, that that will be there to sustain me or to ensure I have a profile or whatever the case may be. It, it genuinely wasn't. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it because the informed decisions blog, it, it is not and never was a marketing tool. It, it was there to honestly try and add some value to people that are interested in this space, honestly. And I think that's why people receive it well. I'm not trying to sell anything on it, right? I'm, I'm genuinely trying to share information. So the point I'm making here or trying to make is if, if you are preparing or planning to, to take a change in career or do something different, I think the more preparation, the more work that you can do in advance of that, the easier that transition is going to be. And I know that's probably a very simple point, but this is work, right? Um, like if I was to think about it, I probably have spent, I'd say about a thousand hours uh, working and creating informed decisions over the last couple of years. Uh, and and I've done that perfectly happily. I've loved every minute of that. Um, so if you can find something that you are very happy to invest energy and work into, but that is also potentially going to support your endeavors, 
then I think that's a re- a winning sort of formula for for making it a success. Mm-hmm. And you found some many x amount of clients coming to you uh, through that. Yeah, yeah. So so what the, like the the way that I work, um, and I, and I probably it's it's. It's why I. It's part of the reason why I went the path I did. Like for me, I I genuinely want to try and make a difference in how financial services is done. Right, I, I mean that. Right, in Ireland at least in Ireland. Right, um. So, so for me, the way that I can do that is I can continue to work, uh, coaching, training financial advisors, brokers, uh, in terms of how to engage clients and really have a meaningful impact with clients. But also, I can I can now work with a small number of individual clients myself from a financial planning perspective. So those are the two main activities that I do now. So I do the training and coaching in the financial advice space, but I also work with a small number of clients then that come to me looking for help with their own financial planning. Um, and, and I do that in a very deliberate way. I don't sell products. So what I do for people is I help them figure out what's important to them and help create a financial roadmap for them. Um, and, and that's a very different service to, let's say, a, a broker might do, for instance, or whatever the case may be. So so that's the way that I work. Hmm. It's interesting. The The kind of business model is changing in some ways in, in how you do what you're doing. I guess some of the stuff I'm kind of putting out there is, you know, again, similar, all, all about what I'm passionate in and, mm. and sharing lots and lots of content for, for free. I, yeah. I, I listened to Sam Harris's podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard of waking no. up. Um, and he's kind of a neuroscientist, mindfulness expert and author and whatnot, but, his view is similar in that he puts out all the stuff for free and mm. you decide then like he obviously has a platform where you get the content for free after you consume it you then decide okay i value that i'll i'll, I'll donate five dollars to his okay. patreon account so it's it's not only try before you buy it's it's completely used before you you buy and yes. at the end you can have you know maybe a moral discussion with yourself to say well i got something out of it that i'll donate x or or i still got something out of it but i'm not willing to give some some money to it yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's an interesting one i see the the guardian uh the guardian website mm. you know the newspaper and um, they have a similar model right they're running majority of what they're doing now is is fundraised um and and i guess their proposition is independent news right so I, I'm a big fan of them because they're not, they're not, I guess, influenced by advertisers, etc. They're they're honest, hopefully honest, unbiased journalism, and I guess that's what I am trying to do within the financial services space. Is I'm putting stuff out there that most people in the space wouldn't put out there in terms of being totally honest, totally authentic about fees, charges, you know, you know, lies that you might be told. Um, and so that I'm I'm honestly trying to make a positive difference. And, and I guess an example of that is uh, there's a guy in the UK who uh, used to run his own marketing consultancy in the financial services space called Andy Agathangelo. And he has set up he has set up uh, this movement called the Transparency Task Force in the UK, which is all about improving the levels of transparency and openness and trust within financial services space so that 
this profession and this industry will still be around in 20 years, right? Because uh, there's a trust barometer done by Edelman. Uh, it's called the Edelman Trust Barometer every year. And it sort of maps out the levels of trust within different industries and different sectors globally. And consistently, financial services is, you know, bottom of the pile in terms of trust from consumers, right? And that's a big problem. It has a big problem. And so I've joined Andy uh, and the Transparency Task Force. It's purely voluntary, mm-hmm. right? There's nobody making any money out of that. Yeah. Um, as, as Ireland's only ambassador for the Transparency Task Force, and I'm trying to spread the word and, and I guess get other people in the industry involved in that to, yeah, increase the levels of honesty, transparency, and openness, because that to me is what is holding it back and holding people back from engaging with credible financial planners and advisors. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do, do you have, um, I call it a kind of call, I'm putting it, I'm do, doing a blog about authenticity at the moment, so it's topical okay. for me, but yeah. um, a, an authentometer, I'm calling it almost, that you, you, see, okay. you see financial planners in your world are posting stuff on, online and social. And yes. do you, can you detect inauthentic uh, ones easily and you know again it's, it's easy to that's a subjective thing and but, yeah. but you, you see through what they're trying to to sell are they in it for the money or can, can i see or can other people see both i guess yeah um i i, I did a blog uh, recently called um how to get financial advice in ireland i think it was called it's in the last couple of weeks it'll be on the website um a blog and a podcast on it and it was it was basically outlining the different types of advisors and, and the different ways in which they work and how they are paid. Um, and again, it's not casting a judgment on any of them, but it's just making people aware of the yeah. different models, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so for instance, I guess I firmly believe that the majority of financial advisors operating in the country are are not trying to pull the wool over people's eyes, right? Right. Uh, in, in terms of the advice that they would give. But I do think there's a lack of transparency around how people are paid. You know, the potential conflict of interest is mm-hmm. a big thing. Um, so, you know, should you should you clear your mortgage or should you invest that money with me, Mr. Customer? Oh, well, look, at you should invest it with me. Um, obviously, that might be a conflict of interest, right? Mm-hmm. Because the advisor might make money out sure. of them buying a product. Um, so I guess that's a constant conflict of interest that the central bank are constantly trying to manage and, and minimize the, the, the impact of that on the advice that is given. So, so for instance, there's, there's a thing at the moment where a, an advisor, if they, a, a broker, right, can call themselves independent, right? So ultimately what that currently means is that they can give you products from different providers, right, from different insurance companies or whatever the case may be. But they will still get commission if you, say, invest a lump sum and they might get an annual fee again if you invest money with them. So the word independent uh, probably doesn't match with the behavior, if that makes sense. So the, the central bank are looking at only allowing advisors who don't earn commission who only charge a fee for the service 
they're looking at only allowing those advisors to call themselves independent. And there are very few of those advisors. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's definitely a question I've often asked myself or when I'm looking for financial advice. Yeah. There's that voice in your said like this person is is in bed with one bank or another or yes. you know so it's yeah. Yeah. it's a challenge yeah. i think everybody probably has it, it is a challenge and i think it's unfortunate because i go back to that point I, I firmly believe that the impact that proper financial advice can have is is huge um and i believe that most advisors out there are trying to do it the right way but there's this fee structure and commission structures that are are probably muddying the waters a little bit and and, and i guess that's ultimately my ambition is to, to help clear those waters and for more people to get advice without having to be worried about oh is this authentic advice or is this just in your interests advice and that's what I do a lot of work with advisors on is trying to articulate how they work and what it is they do and the value they can bring to people. Mm. So your skill set of being a financial advisor and a coach and mm. you know, very much from what I'm hearing from you and the work you do authentic genuine honest there's a heavy emotional intelligence elements to that so uh, i i don't i don't know about that but, you know, I, I, but, but I think it's coming across that way so that's probably quite a unique mix in in the world you're in is it i i don't know i guess look at that I, I i this is another thing i try not to compare myself to anybody else right sure. i think comparison is the uh is the enemy of contentment um but i'm sure uh, you're probably hearing it from from clients and, and again well, i'm not yeah, trying to like, pr promote or promote you here you know but i'm just saying yeah. for me it seems that that's a different a unique enough mix maybe 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 it is and some clients have commented on that yeah and and look at i uh, i'm hugely grateful to to be in the space that i'm in and to do the work that i'm doing i'm so so grateful for that and and i really am having having the time of my life right honestly um without trying to get too emotional here i really am enjoying what i'm doing right um and I feel I'm making a difference. And that to me is my purpose, right? Is to make a difference. Um, so yeah, I, I guess the model that I'm I'm working under allows me to to, I believe, operate in a very authentic way and to and to hopefully be making a positive difference. And yeah, people have said that that that, that is coming true and, and happy days. So I want to just continue that and, and look at I I I have no ambitions to grow the financial planning side of things to massive, like to a massive scale. Um, I, you know, working with 50 clients over the long term to help them is sort of where I'm at at the moment. And, and that's going according to plan. People are coming to me, right. Which is, which is really great. Um, so yeah, it's look at, I guess it's a new way of doing it. Um, there's probably, not too many, if any, other people doing it in the same way. But as I said, I, I try not to compare myself to anybody else. It's more about doing it the way that I believe mm. adds real value. Okay. I'll stop giving you a big head there now. So um, th just one question around the purpose before I maybe get into more tactical yeah. ones that people might get learn something from on, on the, uh, the finance side. <clears throat> Obviously, doing coaching, you figure out your why a lot. You figure out your how yeah. to get there. When you're bringing that question to financial advisors in the training and you put yes. it up on your whiteboard, you know, what is your purpose? Are they, for the most part, looking at you like, what's this guy on? Is yeah. it groundbreaking uh, stuff? A, a little a little bit of that, Rob, I would say, a little bit of that. Um, but again, they're, they're probably forewarned before I start working with them in, in one way, shape or form about what we're going to be doing. And, and it's interesting. 
as I said, I, I admire the vast majority of financial advisors that are out there trying to do good work, right? And But yet even they don't often recognize the value that they bring, right? They don't, they, they, they might, and again, this is this is in talking in general terms they might just see themselves as oh well, look what i just i do pensions or you know i just do life cover or whatever the case may be but but uh, like ultimately i try to encourage them to to take a bit more of a bigger picture view on how they actually can help people and and how they can engage people more in thinking about the bigger picture and it's not about the products it's not about the product. i know that's what might generate them an income right but but ultimately, it's a, this is about people's lives, right? And and it's about the well-being and their financial preparedness for the future and their well-being if, if they don't reach that stage in life or whatever the case may be and the well-being of their families. So it, to me, it's much more than products. The products are just the tools by which to solve a problem that somebody has. And I believe the skill of an advisor, and it is a skill and, and an ability, is to get a customer thinking what the friggin' hell is important to you here? What are your priorities? Um, you know, what do you want to do with yourself, right? Um, you know, is there more than what you're currently doing, or is there something different that you want to do? And 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 then help allow me to facilitate that and to figure out how you can achieve that financially. And and that's really what financial advice is. I believe about it. it's not about selling bloody products. Nobody wants a pension. Nobody wants life cover, but they want the value and the benefit from those tools, right? Um, so yeah, I, I think the penny drops though, right? People start to, when they, when they think about it, when they really think about it from their own perspective, perhaps they start to say, you know, okay, right. There's, there's something in this and this is not just waffle. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So you're probably touching on some of the, the, the more, um, targeted questions then that folks might get some learnings from. So, so rules to follow, what are the kind of rules you would advocate to a client that they should follow to be financially secure or, or what i suppose yeah what, what comes up when i ask that yeah it's it's interesting i guess the the clients that that typically would come to me um would generally be you know they would have you know large amount of assets or maybe complex sort of financial situations that they they need help figuring out right um and what i always find interesting is is that irrespective of how much money somebody might have there is generally speaking, generally speaking, a, a lack of awareness around what they are spending, right? About what their outgoings are, right? Um, and generally speaking, right? There are some exceptions, but the, the vast majority of people have no real handle on where their money is going and what they're spending their money on. Um, they, know, they might know how much they're earning, but they actually don't think about what they're spending. And, and to me, that is the first place to start if you're looking at your finances. I don't care if you're planning for 40 years down the road or for next week. I do believe that the first place to start is figuring out, okay, what is your, what's your expenditure here? What, do you, what percentage of your income are you spending on X, Y, and Z? Um, and to get a handle on that first, all right? People people talk about oh I want to get more I want to get a salary I want to get an, a salary increase I want to get a promotion to get more money because they have this desire to progress and I, I totally empathise with that I one hundred percent do but it's it's quite often easier to reduce your outgoings than it is to increase your incomings right mm -hmm. um, 
without without it being painful, right? There are simple tweaks uh, that having a basic awareness can can ha- help with in that space. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah, I think uh, I guess my background is project management, so there's probably an element of being focused in on things in a planful way. So I, yes, I talk about the curse of knowledge a lot uh, to people. And co- so once you know something, you you assume other people might know it as well. So probably in your yeah. role, because you know stuff so intimately, it's uh, it's always key to remind yourself this person may not have that clarity or, or they have a lack of clarity on what they're spending yes. so that's that's certainly yeah. interesting yeah this is probably more a selfish one as well so so from a savings perspective i, I always hear you know putting money on the deposit, not deposit is, is bad obviously but looking at kind of uh um packages or products that will give you compound interest or or the potential for index linked funds are, are more beneficial over the the long haul than maybe yeah. stocks or shares what's what's your general word on that so yeah it's, and it's it's probably one that i get a, a quite a lot of emails about is uh, similarly rob is people wondering you know i'm trying to i'm trying to save the children's education or i'm doing whatever i'm saving x y or z every month what's the best place and look at there there's limited options right in that space um there are lots of products right but generally speaking there's there's two main ways in which to do that one being deposit and one being an equity based regular savings um plan product investment call it whatever you will um and and i i guess I would I would go back to the start quite often I, I'm a big a big fan of Stephen Covey and you know the seven habits um and all of that sort of stuff and, and one being you know begin with the end in mind and and I, I would always try and encourage people to be goal focused so what is the goal what's the purpose for wanting to get more return <laughs> you know uh, why take on risk or volatility if you actually don't need to in order to achieve your goals right so yes deposit accounts get slated but deposit accounts generally get slated by people that are trying to sell you the other option right um so again there might be a vested interest in in saying that deposit accounts are rubbish the rate on deposit account is not good but again if you if you call inflation at 0.4 percent at the moment then a deposit account will dare thereabouts keep you in line with inflation right so you're not actually losing purchasing power of your money if you're staying in line with inflation so if you need more than inflation then that is merit for looking at the other option and yes compound interest um you know is is a beauty right and but only if it's done over the long term and again without going off into a tangent uh, i believe that an awful lot of people do not benefit from compound interest because they end up making changes to the plan or cashing in money or not sticking to a long-term strategy so therefore don't benefit from compound interest compound interest really only was I won't say only has an impact, but you only see the significance of it over a 10, 20, 30 year period. If it's a five year plan, compound interest is really not going to make that much of a difference to you in the great in the grand scheme of things, Rob. So again, I go back to that point. If you're going to look at an equity savings plan which carries levels of volatility, where there's a potential that you will get back less than what you put in, right? If you withdraw at a at a at poor timing, why would you do that? if you're not clear on what you're trying to actually bloody achieve. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. 
Um, uh, I, I don't know if I've answered the question. Yeah, but that's, I guess definitely. That's, that's my thoughts on it, like, yeah, are they are, for, for that? Then is a if you were putting money into a long term investment, right, ten yeah. plus fifteen twenty years, where yeah. you will see that. Uh, you stick with it, set it and forget it, maybe sort of yes. terminology. Is yeah. it something you you add to on a monthly basis or is it a, a something you would put in a lump sum at the start or, or is there increments both. both? Both, yeah. So I guess the, the most common long-term regular saving structure that people might see is, is the likes of a, a pension, right? A pension mm-hmm. product, a retirement fund, call it whatever you will. Um, and, and again, you will only benefit from compound interest if you stick to the plan, right? Mm-hmm. There is, there's really no more sure a way to benefit from compound interest if and than if you're investing, saving regularly into an equity fund, right? And, and history has proven this, right? That if you consistently invest every month, irrespective of when the markets are up or down, you stick to the plan. That is what has rewarded investors. Don't change the fund when the fund is down 30, 40%, which it does every five, six years on average. Mm-hmm. If you stick to the plan, that is what has delivered success for people. But that is when people want to get out. If they're invested in something, in a fund that's now down 40%, their initial and primal drive is get me out of here. Mm-hmm. Right. This mm-hmm. is falling. I don't want to be in here. Uh, but again, it's only the people that can see the logic for staying in when that happens. If you think about it, it's the very same as buying a house. When when do would you ideally buy a house when the property prices are at a peak of four hundred thousand or would you much prefer to be buying when the property price is at a trough of 200,000. Where would you ideally be buying? And you want to be buying when the prices are low. And the very same can be said of equity investing. All right. It is exactly when prices are low that it is the best time to be investing and buying into those things with a view that they will obviously increase in, in over time. And I think that's a piece that I'm really passionate about is the long term benefits and merits of investing long term right talking 10 plus years i know it's traditional and again when when advisors might be trying to uh, trying to get you invested to talk about five years five years is a very narrow window right if you're going to be investing in the likes of equity funds but over the long term so let's take it from 1925 right and we're talking about a global equity portfolio here right 1925 to 2018, an equity for portfolio has delivered an average of just under 11% every year on average, All right? On average. Now, have there been awful years in there? Yes, there have been years where the likes of that type of thing has fallen 43%, right? But on average, over the long term, that is what is delivered. Um. And so, again, I'm talking about long term. That's obviously 100 years, right? We're not talking about investing 100 years, but it's just to paint that picture that despite the fact that there will be absolutely terrible and really scary periods, that it's the ones that hold their nerve have done well over the, term, over the course of history. Mm. 
what's interesting there is maybe some of your coaching skills might come into play when you're dealing with a client who's freaking the hell out when things have gone down 10 percent, and i want to jump and i want to go into something more stable do you find that helpful yes but but i I guess with the people that i work with um they're they're very well educated in terms of this is what to expect right if if you're not expecting this and it happens that's obviously pretty scary but if you're expecting it then that's par for the course right and so if we look at december uh, on christmas eve christmas day the global markets were down about 15 percent over the over the course of the month again if you weren't prepared for that, that's a bit scary, right? Not a but nice Christmas you, present, no. If you understand that that's how it works, then it's not a it's not a thing. Like again, in a recent blog and podcast I did uh, was talking about the fact that equity markets, on average, will have temporary declines every year of around fourteen percent. Every year, mm-hmm. there will be temporary declines during the year of fourteen percent. But that average annual return still stands over the long term at that 11% figure. So mm. it go figure. That's the ups and downs that deliver the long-term returns. Mm. When you're working with a client, and do, do does it come into play to say, look, you're, for example, you're 20 years into your uh, investment, you've hit 50% over the course of the, the duration, as an example. Is there, like, yeah. do they... Do you work with them to set a kind of a get out clause to say, you know, you're probably happy enough now or or do they want that? Look, maybe I'll hang on for another bit longer. Again, I, th- I think it comes back to what's the what's the goal? Right? Mm. What's the plan? Okay. Um, I think everything has to be linked to some sort of a a, a life event or a, a, a desire or a goal or something that they want to do. Right. Or gift. Right. Um, but I think when it comes to retirement planning, I think is the big is the big area. So traditionally what a lot of pensions and again i don't sell pensions but what a lot of pensions will do is that they will as you get close to retirement rob reduce the the risk the traditional wisdom is to reduce the risk right so when you're 65 for instance you might have 70 percent of your pension pot in a deposit account right the equivalent of a deposit account and and here is here is the challenge with that if you're if it's a couple for instance at 65 years of age statistically there's a very high probability that at least one of them is going to live another 20 years from that point correct all right so this pot is is the pot that they're going to be drawing income from for the next 20 years right and ideally they'll want to be maybe drawing depending on the size of the pot let's say 5% a year so they're going to be drawing 5% a year but the money is sitting in a deposit account, which is ultimately just keeping in line with inflation. So what will happen is, is that pot will generally speaking get eroded far earlier than if it remained invested in something which is going to deliver it long-term returns. And a 25-year retirement is a long-term. So why would you have it sitting in essentially cash or deposit account if you're drawing if you want to draw 5% every year and have that 5% increase, why would you have it sitting in the deposit? It just defies logic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes just the logical part isn't isn't thought through, right? So so that Well, again, it's I guess it's because it, it's an industry tradition that look at as you get to retirement we'll do this and we'll move it into secure and it probably sounds like it makes sense, but 
But if you if you believe in the long term returns of the equity markets, which it has proven, then ultimately, why would you not be invested, remain invested and draw your income from something that is actually delivering you return? And therefore, you stand a reasonable chance of actually leaving some funds behind for as a legacy, as well as having it sustained you right up until the day you die. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. You mentioned mortgages just very briefly earlier, and um, I suppose the the current world of uh, the mortgage market. What, what what's the what's the take on that? And again, the other one question I suppose you probably get asked a lot is, am I better to pay off lumps of my mortgage mm. regularly um, or or, or invest it somewhere else. Well, again, does that come back to the goals? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it. I guess it does, right? Because there's with with those two aspects you've just touched on, Rob. There's, there, I would argue, there's no right or wrong, right? Because we do not know what the future holds. We, we nobody can predict what's going to happen. You can look at it and you can analyze it, and that's something that I do for clients. I, I analyze various options that they might have, right, and help them make an informed decision, pardon the pun, right? So they ultimately it's about analyzing the options as things stand today and to make an educated guess, an educated decision based on things as they are right now. So the question of should I clear my mortgage if I have a lump sum or should I invest it, right? That's a really common one. And it's probably one of the most popular articles and, and podcasts that I've done uh, because it's a, a common challenge for people. And again, the an advisor, again, depending on how they operate, may be encouraging you to invest it because, again, there might be a conflict of interest there as opposed to clearing the mortgage. But I would always, I would always ask, what's what would what would give you the greatest sense of satisfaction? Is it knowing that you don't have a mortgage to pay off and that you don't have a mortgage to pay every month, or is it having a nest egg? set aside for the long term that you can potentially access if you want to in the future and then let's look at the numbers right and trying to figure out some people are on tracker mortgages right which they might be paying one percent a year and um, so ultimately that's the rate that you are locking in for yourself if you clear that mortgage off if that makes sense if, if i've explained that um that that's essentially the rate that you are accepting on that lump sum if you choose to clear the mortgage is one percent some people will say, yeah, I don't care about the rate. I want to clear it. And other people will be like, okay, let's look at the numbers. Let's look at the potential returns that I might get versus clearing it and make a decision based on that. Mm. Cool. So you have you have a podcast on that. People can get into more detail yes. on that one. Yeah, absolutely. You did a post, I think, recently around entrepreneurial relief. That's yes. Something you, what, what's that about? So it's it's essentially a very generous tax relief that is available to both self and our sole traders, but also directors of limited companies where they own at least five percent of the company. Um, and yeah, it's it's ultimately I know it's a very sexy sort of title, but it's ultimately tax relief against capital gains tax on disposal of a business. Right. So if if. Let's say uh, Robert Green podcast was worth a million euros today, right? If entrepreneurial relief didn't exist and you sold that, right, on to, you know, the guys that do serial podcasts, they decided they wanted to buy Robert Green, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so they paid a million euros for it. If 
entrepreneurial relief didn't exist, you would pay 33% tax on that gain. Okay. Right? So you would therefore have a tax bill of 330,000 euro mm -hmm. and you'd pocket the rest 670, right? Um, whereas with entrepreneurial relief, if you qualify, uh, and, and generally, the again, you can check out the blog for it, but if you have to have owned it for three of the last five years, right? And you have to have been involved in the day-to-day -day running of it, but ultimately that will reduce your tax bill by 23%. Okay. So in essence, you would it was it's going to save you two hundred and thirty thousand of tax. Okay. So it's a really generous relief. Again, my thoughts on it are is that it's to encourage people to create businesses, sell them on, move on, create more, get more involved in more projects, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, just to try and motivate that activity. Hmm. Interesting. Definitely one that I wasn't aware of until I checked that, that out. So thanks for, for mm. explaining that one. Is there any other kind of hot topics you, you kind of t tend to find coming at you from your clients that uh, are, are probably little known in, in the general scheme of things? Yeah, I, t I think probably, again, it's it's linking back to the transparency piece, but the hot topic is certainly around around fees around fees of, of, you know, that people are paying on investments. And, and again, it's one that's covered in the media quite a lot in the papers, uh, and I've contributed to articles on it in the papers. But there was legislation brought out uh, January 18, uh, EU legislation, that uh, basically enforced or forced any uh, re retail investment provider. So the insurance companies, if you buy a lump sum investment, for instance, uh, it forced those providers to tell you what charges you're actually paying on on that investment. All right. So traditionally, you might have seen, you know, oh look at the annual charge is one point two percent or whatever the case may be, right, mm -hmm. per, per year on your investment. But when these documents came out, which showed the full scale of the the fees, again, some providers, some insurance companies are better than others. Um, but I've I've seen cases where people are paying up to 3.5% a year on their investments. So if just to put that in context, if you've 100,000 invested, you're paying 3,500 euros every year for holding that investment. If it's a million euro investment, you're paying 35,000 a year in fees. Um, and that is really, really hard to swallow. Um, but that's the reality of it. So again, that's a hot topic. It's one that the central bank are looking at. I know in the UK, it's a massive movement. Um, and again, it's just about the transparency of what people are actually paying. If on the, on the, on the tin, it says 1.5%, but behind the scenes, there's all this other stuff that's driving it to 3%. How customer focused is that? Um, and I guess that's an area that I, I guess a lot of customers and a lot of clients would be, would be very inquisitive to know what, what's going on there. So Again, it's just a transparency piece. I, I do think we need to be more transparent so so that we're still around in 20 years to, to deliver the value that we can deliver to clients. Question I had, I suppose, you obviously give these, this advice. Do you follow all your own advice as well? Are you very good with your own finances and management? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I remember uh, hearing the expression, I, I, mean, I can never really get it right, but it's something like the the farriers, the farriers, uh, horses are the last to be shooed or something like this mm. or the painter is that you know his own house is the last house to paint yeah, I, yeah. I guess i 
I do, and <laughs> it's interesting. I, I married a I married a primary school teacher who's um, I I don't know I, without generalizing. Um, I think primary school teachers get accused of not being fantastic with their money, right? right, and, right. and if that's if that's true, uh, then my wife certainly uh, <laughs> lives up to that. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, we're we're a good we're a good combo. We're a bit of yin and yang there um, about managing managing the day to day, but also preparing for for the future. But I guess for me, um, I guess where where we're at as a family and the age of the kids, for me, a priority is to is to the experiences piece and to be around and to do the fun stuff with them. Um, but also having one eye on the future and, and, and of course, being, pre- being prepared there. So, yes, I do try to, as much as possible, follow what I do. And, and, and most of the topics that I come up with are probably from my own thinking and in how I, I look at my own situation and, and the various aspects to that. And I think that's, I hope, makes that very relevant then to people that might be listening as well. Hmm. So you do practice what you preach, which is certainly important. For the most part, yes. If you weren't in the world of finance, personal finance and advice, what what do you think you'd like to do other than that? That's a great question. Um, and I've, I to be perfectly honest with you, I think I've sort of landed in a, a place where I'm really, really happy. Um, there's, I know it might sound a bit mad, but there's nothing else I'd rather be doing, I don't think. Hmm. A lot of people listening will be probably quite jealous to hear, you know, well, that. Yeah. I, I I suppose it's it took a long time to get here, right? Um, it took a it took a lot of work, it took a lot of thinking, um, and a lot of mistakes, um, and a lot of cul-de-sacs. But I think, yeah, like I was like a lot of us, I was probably in a in a big organization where I was conditioned, and again, not to anybody else's fault, but only my own, but conditioned to pursue the next promotion or you know earn another five grand or earn another 10 grand and I and I sort of it was through that coaching and through a lot of as I said soul searching that I figured yeah. out hold on this isn't actually what's important to me at all mm. um so I now know what's important to me and and informed decisions and doing the work that I do is a big part of that mm. it's interesting the coaching how how massively impactful that can be and it can yeah. can t- relieve a lot of the tension in the in your own system once you figure that out right huge huge but but I found it like that it's coaching is not an easy thing to go through right but mm-hmm. i i was watching a film the other night or i can't remember where i heard it but if you're going through hell keep going um you know i, I think it was winston churchill that came up with it i'm not sure but but it's that whole and i certainly wasn't going through hell but it, it you know if you keep going through the to the rough stuff if there's a goal at the end then hopefully and usually it, it, it it'll work out for us mm, very true just on podcasting as a fellow podcaster um yeah. Do, does any of uh, your interviews so far stand out one one over the other? Any really stand out guests, and what 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 you took away from any key one? That's a that's a great question. Um, like I guess I've taken I've taken nuggets from everybody that I've spoken to, and, and in fairness, I probably you you do lots of interviews. I probably do only maybe one in every three is an interview, so it's a lot of me. Uh, rambling. I try to keep it to twenty minutes when it's just me. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I've taken something from everybody. Probably the big, the most impactful uh, for me was podcast one hundred, um, which was uh, Guy Spear, who's a US 
uh, fund manager actually, right? But he works in a very different way to 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 the majority of people. He's he's followed Warren Buffett in terms of throughout his career. He's he's in contact with Warren Buffett. He he runs this fund called the Aquamarine Fund in the US. Superb performance. It's an actively managed fund, which is not everybody's cup of tea, but this is really performed well. Um, but it's his way of working and his way of thinking that really struck me. He's not about the money at all. He's about doing the right thing, you know, developing, learning, progressing in all aspects of life. And was a really interesting guy to to chat to. Um, so that was probably one of the standouts for me, uh, I guess, if I was to highlight just one. And he has a book out, which I'd read a couple of years before, The Education of a Value Investor, a superb book. Um, and so from, th from that point on, I was a big fan of Guy and... He's yeah, he he was he was a standout. Cool. That's a nice one and it hits the book question as well. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. Um so we'll wrap it up. Um Paddy, look, that was great. I, I as as always I've learned something from it. I, I thanks thank you for taking the time. Um t tell me more about you, the work you're doing, how people can connect in, any upcoming events in, in your world. Yeah, if I can just actually throw in one more just on the investments piece that, that, that struck me, if that's all right, Rob. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Just when I was thinking about it this morning, you know, if there was one thing, when it comes to investing, right, as I mentioned, if you're invested in equities, the potential for return is very strong and historically has been very strong on average. However, um, if people are investing in what they might call low-risk funds, right, with an expectation of getting 5% a year, for instance, right? Which is better than deposit, yes. But I would always ask people to think about the end. Begin with the end in mind. If that's an, a, an investment in a retail product and you're hoping to get 5% a year, right? Fantastic, sounds good. But not to rain on anybody's parade, if you think about this, if you're investing at 5% a year and you're, you're going to be taxed right? Uh, about 40% of the growth. So your 5% becomes 3%. Mm -hmm. If you're paying one and a half or 2% in fees within that investment, your 3% now becomes 1.5 or 1%, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Assuming you've got that 5% return. So you have taken on a significant level of volatility with potential for for obviously getting back less than what you put in for a net benefit of 1%, mm -hmm. right? And I see so many people doing that and I'm wondering what is the logic? Mm -hmm. And are they aware of the net benefit that they might achieve in doing something like that? It's not by any means to say that they shouldn't do it, but it is just to be aware that that's what they're aiming for. Mm. And, and if that's the that's the level of volatility they're taking on in order to achieve that mm. so if they were getting the five percent it's down to one effectively um i know the title of this podcast is one percent better so i'm not yeah. going to go too, <laughs> too much against that um, but uh, maybe when it comes to finance we want more than one percent but um but yeah. but earning but but then so the ten percent what would that come down to if you apply those deductions as well? Is it four so, or five percent? So it's, again, if you if you're starting if you're starting at ten percent, right, uh, you're down to six percent after tax, right? Mm -hmm. You take your one or two percent off for fees, fees, so you're down to four point five dash five percent. 
which much more risk is obviously. going to be a positive net difference, right? So it's just that, just that, just that thought. I yeah. think is 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 one to challenge people on, and I believe in challenging our thought, and and I love when my thought is challenged, hmm. but it's to challenge the logic in what you're actually doing there. Mm-hmm. But then I guess the diversification of the the investment maybe gives you. If you have a little bit on deposit, you have a bit, bit on your five percent, some on your 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 ten. And again, it's or or leave it all on deposit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. If the if deposit is going to keep in line with inflation and therefore retain the purchasing power of your money over time, if it's going to do that, mm. and that's all you need, why would you take on high volatility to get one percent net? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's just a challenge that. Sure. No, no, glad you uh, put put that one in there. Uh, good. So that was sorry. That was one that I had jotted down that I I wanted to get across uh, in terms of in terms of the logic for people investing, right? Um, but yeah, I, I forget your initial question before well, was, I went off. It was tangent. more just to to wrap things up and tell us more about you and how people can get in touch and how uh, okay. they can follow uh, you. Yeah. So look, as I said, I, I suppose the. The, the 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 starting point if if anybody uh, wanted to hear more of my ramblings would be to to head over to informeddecisions.ie uh, that's the website drop me an email uh, training at informeddecisions.ie or help at informeddecisions.ie i suppose yeah i'm on itunes and podcast addict and stitcher and all the usual um podcast players if people are, are interested in here and i have 123 or four podcasts there so hopefully there's something that will be of value to people. And I guess, yeah, my intent is always to is to help and to hopefully make some sort of a positive difference in terms of people's decision making out there. So that'd be cool if that if that was to help somebody. I guess the, the one other thing that I'd love to mention is um I I, I mentioned a book earlier on. Um another favorite book of mine is a book written by an Irish guy who might be a great guy to interview, actually. Dr. David Keane is his name. Um he's living in New Zealand. But he wrote a book called The Art of Deliberate Success uh, a number of years ago. And that book was recommended to me and I absolutely loved it. And it's very practical. It's it's very much about what's important to you. And then basically learning the 10 behaviors of really successful people and how that can apply to you. Uh, And it's a life book as opposed to a finance book. And I love the book uh, so much so that I reached out to David one day a couple of years ago. And we had a couple of Skype conversations and he said, Paddy, uh, you're a qualified uh, COVID trainer, facilitator, coach. Yeah, absolutely. He said, you know, we run programs here in New Zealand and Australia for thousands of people in the corporate world to help them with this stuff. Um, We'd love if you were the Irish representative for this program. So three times a year, I run a two day workshop based on the book and it's the art of deliberate success. Um, and we're holding it now. The end of March is the next one. And yeah, if people are interested, look up the website, artofdeliberatesuccess.com. And indeed, for information on that program in March, drop me an email, help at informeddecisions.ie. And I'd love to tell them a little bit more detail around how we can hopefully help them. So I'm really looking forward to that in March. Brilliant. Two two good book recommendations there, Paddy, yeah. and, uh, and ways to get in touch. So I'm sure people might have a... a bunch of questions that i didn't ask um but that's that's how they can uh, get those addressed by giving you a shout out and um, yeah. taking it from there check out check out the podcast yeah it's probably the best place to start rob yeah 100 percent. excellent 
thanks so much Paddy and I look forward to sharing this one with uh, the, the world in, in the near term and um, hopefully people got uh, something from it to, to improve hopefully very good thanks a million man an honour thanks Rob thanks a lot hey guys just before you go I'd love to hear from you if anything specific stood out from that episode something you might take away and try and implement in your own personal or professional life to help make you that little bit better on the other side is there anything you think i could do better to make the show even more enjoyable more impactful and maybe meaningful so drop me a note rob at rob of the green.ie or connect in on any of the social platforms at rob of the green we also have a community on facebook check that out if you're really enjoying the show maybe you could try and leave a rating or a review on itunes apple podcasts app go in there give us a rating let us know how we're doing that'll help with the ranking of the podcast up those charts the more folks that potentially see it because we're high up the better the more that might listen that never heard of it before and the goal of the show is to try and reach more and more people and have that impact more and more so that's down to you please do help me with that i'm not going down the route of hiring podcast promoters quote unquote from other parts of the world because they say they can help with the ranking and I don't really believe them or it's not very authentic. Help me do it in an authentic way. I'd really appreciate it. This year, I'm going more all in on Patreon. So it's three bucks a month. You can sign up, subscribe to Rob of the Green on Patreon.com. That will give you access to Patreon-only content. Nearly all the episodes of the 864 podcast are on there and new ones will be added only there. The 1% Better Show will have early releases there, but will still come out for free on robofthegreen.ie. There'll also be live shows this year, some phone-in shows, extra content, three euros a month. Will hopefully, the more folks that subscribe, allow me to do more and more stuff on there, add more and more content. At the end of the day, that's the price of a pair of socks, maybe, that you might lose, or a coffee. One way or the other, it's up to you. If you want to join, you'll still get free stuff otherwise. But if you're enjoying what we're doing, help us grow, help us expand it. I'd really appreciate that. Adding new stuff onto the website all the time. There's an affiliates page under the Be Better drop down. Check in there. There's training courses that you can sign up to. More and more stuff will come in over time. Into season three now of this fun, fun journey. Huge learning. Hopefully you're getting something from it too. Stick with it. Let's keep going. Enjoy the journey even more. Have a great day, week, weekend, and thanks for checking it out. Good luck.